Amen. Amen. Guys, here's the opening question. Have you ever had something in your life that was so broken it felt like it was beyond fixing? Ever in your entire life? Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Guys, by the way, when I'm preaching, I love it when you talk back to me. That's just part of what we do here. Something that was so broken, it was beyond fixing. Like, look at this plate right here. Nasty plate, right? <laughs> so broken, it was beyond fixing. Is there any possible way I'm going to be able to put all of this back together, right, by myself? glue it back together. Is it even going to look good at that point? No, it is not. So broken, it's beyond fixing. How many of you guys have had a relationship like this? You feel like something horrible happened, it was so broken, it was beyond fixing. I had this with my mom. So guys, I don't know if you guys don't know my story or not, so I am one of ten kids, okay? But I only have six blood siblings. So my birth mom passed away from a heart attack when I wasn't even three. So she left behind us seven kids. Then my dad remarried a few years later to my stepmom, Marilyn, who she had three kids with her first husband, and her first husband passed away. So they get married, boom, 10 kids. And I'm the second youngest. And I don't know if any of you guys in here have a blended family, but not only is explaining how your family is blended complicated, like half of you guys are like, I don't even know what you just said. It just sounds like you have a lot of weird family issues. Um, but actually the relational dynamics in a blended family are horribly complicated. For instance, my stepmom, Marilyn, we had a horrible relationship for the longest time growing up. She, to her own admittance, really struggled with favoritism. So she would show hardcore favoritism to her three kids and would essentially be my cook and maid and treat the rest of the Nemers kids horribly. So she showed favoritism and I showed absolute disrespect as a little kid. I was like, you're not my mom. I don't love you. I don't care about you. So we would fight and we would bicker over and over and over again. Every single week, we'd have at least two like blow up fights. At least two. Broken. Beyond fixing. That's what I felt like my relationship with my mom was like. How can something that broken be fixed? I think many of us have an area in our life that feels way too broken to be fixed, right? There's something in your life. And many of us feel that way just about like life in general. Somebody say 2020, am I right? That is a year that is so incredibly broken, right? Just get it over with. Can I get an amen? amen. 2020 sucks. Um, I think there's also like the spectrum of brokenness. I think there are people here today who are like, many of you guys in here today are probably like, yeah, I literally feel like Every single day, I'm like falling apart piece by piece. There's other people who are all the way on this side that are like, oh, what? I'm not broken at all. And you have like horrible brokenness that you just don't even see. Or there are people who are like kind of sitting back like, I got these like tiny little plates in my life that are like kind of broken, but not the huge plates. So I don't feel horrible. I don't feel great, but I know something's wrong. How do we take our brokenness and fix it? Is there a solution to this? Guys, the mission of Saul Ankeny, right? This whole ministry, the mission of Saul Ankeny is to help DMAC students know and follow Jesus. Is to help DMAC students know and follow Jesus. Essentially, our mission is to take broken people and point them, point them to our perfect God, amen? That's what we do. 
But here's the thing. Too many times people don't know the fix to their smallest sin right in their own eyes or their greatest brokenness. So how do we fix that? How can we fix that? Like, I don't even know if it's even possible, right? When you're thinking about the biggest issue you have. Because there are horrible issues in our world, are there not? When I look at our world, I see this. I see horrible brokenness. This is essentially a fracture right here. If you're taking notes, start writing stuff down. Brokenness. I look at our world, and you guys look at your neighborhoods, right? And you see horrible things happening. You see death. You see disease. You see suffering. You see tensions that we have to wade on a daily basis. Can I get an amen? There's also possibly a pandemic that's tearing apart our nations and our world, right? There's brokenness that is happening, right? But yet, amidst our brokenness, we see these traces of beauty. That's a heart, in case you guys didn't know that. And this is God's design. We see these traces of beauty amidst our broken world. We see a sunset over the DMAC Lake. Can I get a go bears? Thank you very much. We see a sunset, right? We see a child's smile. We see a child's laugh. It's like, oh my gosh, that, that was absolutely beautiful. Guys, God's design, back in the day, if you guys read Genesis, especially Genesis 1 and 2, you see when God was designing the world before evil came, it was perfect, flawless. There was no evil, no shame, no murder, no nothing, Right? It was just this perfect utopia that God created. And literally all throughout Genesis 1, we see after God creates one thing and then another thing, it says it was good. It was good. It was very good. It was good. It was very good. It was good. It just says it over and over and over again. When everything was left up to God, it was very good. But is it that way now? Answer me, people. Is it that way now? No. What happened was in Genesis... After God created this beautiful design, we decided to run away, right? You guys are gonna check out this incredible stick figure I'm about to draw. Your mind will be blown. This is a man running, okay? That's pretty good, on the spot. Can I get an amen? Thank you for the clapping. We decided to leave God's design and run to something that might possibly be better, and that is sin. That's what happened, that is sin. And when we sin, we assume in our hearts that God's way is the wrong way, so we decide to make our own way. We can figure it out, even if it's laid out perfectly for us. Did Adam and Eve, were Adam and Eve satisfied with the life that they had? No. God said, don't do this one thing, and they said, nah, I don't know, God. I'm gonna go try that out. They ran to something that would eventually be broken. So I like, I like to think of brokenness as a fracturing of what is good. You guys see a little fracture in that circle? Brokenness is a fracturing of what is good. We see brokenness in our own lives. Even if it's a small piece of brokenness, right? Or it's a huge one. We all have brokenness in our lives and we desperately want to escape, am I right? We desperately want to escape. So we try all these little things to try to escape this brokenness. And one of them is escaping. We try to like fill our lives with these positive experiences to try to kind of separate ourselves and distract ourselves from our brokenness. 
That's a little bit like, that, that's my tendency. I'm just like, what are all the great things that I can do to distract myself? And back when I was in college and high school, it was essentially drinking, drugs, party, sex. You know, it could be good things, right? Not all, not all bad things to try to escape. It could be good things. And essentially, you just try to distract yourself. Another way we try to get out of brokenness is through success, right? We try to weasel our way out of it through success. We try to climb the ladder, right? We go to college, right? Go Bears. Can I get a Go Bears? We go to college, right? We get a good job. You get a freaking hot boyfriend or girlfriend. Am I right? Okay. Yes. Please, for the love of God. And we assume that a successful life is actually going to work, don't we? Look, if I can get just this one thing, God, I'll escape this brokenness that I feel. Or my absolute favorite, which is probably what almost everybody in this room is doing, we try to escape this brokenness that we have through being a good person. How many of you guys have heard the phrase, yeah, I'm a good person? Many of you, liars. Okay, come on. You guys have heard that. We try our hardest to look good and look religious, don't we, on the outside. And somehow we try to trick ourselves into thinking that that will make us forget about the pain and brokenness around us. Because essentially this is Iowa nice. You guys seen that video? Great video, Iowa nice. This is honestly most students here tonight who you've grown up in church, you've had this religious experience, all of you who feel morally okay, not great, but hey, you're not as bad as that person. Guys, you see, these things that we have that we try to wiggle our way out of brokenness never actually work, and they actually end up boomeranging ourselves right back into this empty brokenness that we feel. Don't they? I don't care how good it gets, every single time you boomerang back into brokenness, if you're banking on that. I, want, I kinda wanna concentrate on that last squiggly line, the being a good person aspect. Because honestly, guys, many of you are in that camp tonight and have no idea. You have no idea how unbelievably broken you are. So open up your Bibles, people, to Romans 10. Here at Salt Company, we, we bring our Bibles, people. Romans chapter 10. Guys, I want to give you a little bit of a background here. Romans is a book written by Paul. He was one of the apostles. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He was an extremely great scholar. He loved Jesus and he loved the church. So he's writing this letter called Romans to a church in Rome. And it's literally two believers. But he's talking about, the text that we're going to hone in on, he's talking about a certain group of people. Romans 10, look at verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians, right? My heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their what? Salvation. Salvation, for them to be saved. So right when it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, who is this them? He's talking about the Israelites. Guys, the Israelites, it's interesting. One of their nicknames was God's chosen people. God's holy nation. Okay, that's a big deal, right? If you were an Israelite growing up back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, many people still now, they would assume essentially, hey, I'm already saved. I'm already in right relationship to God. Come on, I, 
I've known God simply because I was born into it. If an Israelite back in Bible times was here right now, they would have said this phrase, I've always been a Christian. I feel like I've always sort of known God. I grew up in church. How many of you guys have heard that before? How many of you guys are saying that right now? But Paul says about God's chosen nation, look at verse one. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning the Israelites is for their salvation. For their salvation. Guys, if I pull you aside right here and I kind of whisper to you, I'm like, hey, there's this guy Joe over there. My heart's desire and prayer for Joe is that he'd lose some weight. What am I saying about Joe? He's overweight, okay? So if Paul is saying, hey, guys, my heart's desire and prayer for the Israelites is that they're saved. What is he saying about the Israelites? They're not saved. He's saying about God's chosen nation, his holy people, right? He's saying, guys, I desire that those Israelites get saved, that those Israelites escape the brokenness of their life and actually are in right relationship with God. Why is he saying that? Why is he saying they're not saved? How? We look at verse two, Romans 10, verse two, it kind of explains it. He says, hey, I can testify about the Israelites that they have a zeal for God. That word zeal, pause right there. That word zeal, many of you guys are like, I have never heard that word before in my entire life. I don't blame you. That word zeal essentially means you have a great energy for God. You have a passion. You have an excitement for God. How many of you guys have ever been to a football game or a basketball game, and you have either been the person or have observed people losing their ever-loving minds cheering for their team? Yeah, boom, right there. You are currently right now. I'm not sure what you're doing. Huh? So, right? They feel like they're so wrapped up in it, right? This is our team. Come on, they're losing their minds. Go Cyclones, am I right? Anyways, sorry, I, I should not have said that. That was Salt Company heresy. I am so sorry. I will never say that again. <laughs> How many of you guys have ever been to church and you've shown up and there was this great message that was preached and you just feel so moved? Or there was this like great worship set and you were up there raising them holy praise hands and praising Jesus. You are feeling it. Anybody ever done that before? Right, that's great energy, right? You're having a great energy for God, a passion for God. That's zeal. But what, what is Paul saying? He's, saying? he's saying, hey, I've seen it with my own eyes. Absolutely, you guys have a zeal. You guys have a passion for God. But look at verse two. He says one of the most controversial things that if you were an Israelite and you read this, you would be so angry. Look at verse two. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Paul is saying right there, you know a lot about God. I don't think you actually know God. You've done a lot for God. I don't think you actually know God. I don't think you actually love God. This would have been the most offensive thing an Israelite could have possibly heard. Why does Paul say that they don't know God? Why does God say, or Paul say, that they are completely broken, don't even know it? Look at verse three, he re-explains it. He says, since they, the Israelites, are, what's that word? 
ignorant of the righteousness of God. Guys, this word righteousness essentially means morally good, okay? But if he's talking about God's righteousness, God's righteousness and my righteousness are very, very different, right? Because I suck. Can I get an amen? You can say amen to that. And God's righteousness is perfect. But then he says they are ignorant of how good God is, how righteous God is. If I'm ignorant of this water bottle, what am I doing? This water bottle does not exist. Nope. Does not exist, people. Does this water bottle exist? I am choosing to ignore its existence. Even though it's clearly right here, what the Israelites are doing is they are seeing clear evidence of God's goodness and his righteousness right in front of them, and they are being ignorant to it. They are choosing to ignore it. But how did they miss it so badly? Look at verse three. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. Guys, in the process of them being ignorant of God's goodness, of his righteousness, they place their own moral goodness in the place of God's. So I kind of want to hear an answer right now. You guys tell me, if they believe that they can be good enough to save themselves, who is God in this situation? The Israelites or God? The Israelites. The Israelites believe that by their own moral goodness, they can save themselves. And they missed everything. Is this you? Is this your brokenness? Is your brokenness being a good person and assuming you can get to God? If this is you, your brokenness is being a fake checklist Christian because you assume that God looks at checked off boxes and doesn't see your checked out heart. You believe that your church attendance, your decent language, your okay-ish social media presence compared to your peers, right? Your past week of not really messing up with your sexual purity that much, right? Essentially, your good works are good enough to bring to God and pretend that they will somehow outweigh the bad that you've done. And you're assuming that that's even how God works. And you assume that that will somehow break you out of this brokenness that you're in, but it's not working, is it? You always boomerang right back into brokenness, don't you? No matter how good you are to others on the outside, you know how rotten you are on the inside. So in your soul and in your mind, it's an endless pursuit of perfection that never works. You try and you try and you try, but you just boomerang right back into the reality of your own brokenness because your righteousness is never enough to satisfy God's wrath. Now, there's a way to get out of this brokenness. I will not leave you completely depressed tonight. There's a way to get out of this brokenness, and it's right here, this arrow right here. You're going to see the most impressive stick figure you have ever seen. That's really bad. I apologize. This is somebody praying. Confess and believe. There is a way to get out of this brokenness. Confess and believe. Where do we see that? 
Because here's the problem. In order to be saved from your brokenness, God actually asks us to have a body and spirit posture of confession and belief, but how? Look at Romans 10, verse nine. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Jesus is what? Say it loud. Lord. Lord. That word confessing, if you confess, that means you are admitting to a fact. So you have to admit that Jesus is Lord. What does that phrase mean? That phrase essentially means that you acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. Jesus and all the prophets said that Jesus would show up and live an absolutely perfect and flawless life. He did that. Jesus said, I am going to show up on this earth and die for your sins. He did that. Jesus said that after three days, there was no possible way that death or sin could actually hold him down. And he burst out of the grave and is a living God for forever and ever. He did that. Amen. That's our God. So when you actually confess that Jesus is Lord, you are admitting that that is a fact. That's what that is. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord, that is you confessing this right here, this third circle, the gospel. That's the word gospel. Sorry, second writing. You're confessing that the gospel is true, that Jesus, as perfect as he was, came to die for a sinner as broken as you are and offered you a gift of salvation. And that takes courage, amen? That takes courage. In order to turn from your brokenness, you have to first confess that you are a sinner, right? First confess that you are a sinner and that you want Jesus to reign in your life as your king. That's what confessing is. But it's confess and believe, right? It's not just confessing it, it's believing it. Look at Romans uh, 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your what? Heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word believe, I love that word believe. This is how I would explain believing. That word means you betting your life existence on the life and work of Jesus Christ. You betting your life existence on the life and work of Jesus Christ. That looks like you reflecting on the brokenness of your life, seeing the work of Jesus, and actually saying, he was better, he is worthy, and he is worth it, amen? That's what that is. And laying your life and your soul on the table and looking death in the eye and saying, I am betting the house on Jesus because it's the only thing that I can do. It is the only option. Because here's the thing, Jesus doesn't just want a confession, he doesn't just want lip service, he wants your heart. Jesus doesn't just want to flirt with you, he wants to put the ring on it, amen? Right, he doesn't just want a little Instagram picture of you, put it in the bio, right, no, 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 no. Jesus wants you standing up in front of a crowd of people making vows to him because he wants your heart. Jesus wants your heart. And verse 10 goes on to re-explain it, look at verse 10. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. That's not yours, that's Jesus's. That's pretty good news, amen? Resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. There's that word again, salvation. I said it a hundred times. 
Many of you guys are like, salvation, I don't really even know what that means. Confessing Jesus as your king and believing in him and him alone results in the salvation of your soul. Guys, salvation is this. After you've confessed and believed in Jesus, your soul is now connected with the Holy Spirit. What the heck does that mean? 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, anyone who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The second you place your faith in Jesus, your soul was by itself one spirit, Holy Spirit connected with you. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are now not alone. You have the power and presence of the living God joined to your soul. How great is that? Can I get an amen? You now know Jesus because Jesus lives in you. And when you get saved, you are now justified in the heavenly court as a child of the living God, never to be disowned because you will have been bought at a price, the price of Jesus' blood. And when you get saved, you are now a new creation, which leads to this last arrow right here. This will be the best stick figure of all time. Halo. This is restore and pursue. Restore and pursue. You are now a new creation. You are now restored to a position of love in God's family. You're not the same person anymore. You have a newfound joy and purpose, and this restoration and purpose is all motivation for you to continually pursue God's design for your life. You now drop your old habits, asking the question, God, how did you design the world? I want to pursue it that way. I tried the brokenness route. It did not work. I want to pursue your way, your design for my life, Jesus. You now see the joy, you see the purpose, you feel the love, and now you pursue Jesus more and more, going back to the design that he created you to work with in the beginning. So my question for you guys is which of these two circles are you in? Are you within God's design, you've already placed your faith in Jesus, or are you starting to doubt it? Are you in the brokenness circle? I think many of you here tonight I'm not naive. Many of you here tonight are in this brokenness circle and you're just now starting to realize it. Could it be that you're the Romans 10, one through three person, right? You've been to church, you know a lot about God, you've totally done a lot for God. Nobody is saying you haven't, but you've missed the point and placed your faith in your good works and not in the work of Jesus Christ. Could it be that you've forgotten that the gospel is less about you trying to be good enough for God and it's actually all about how God was good enough for you? If that's you, you know what you have to do. Confess and believe in the gospel. Confess and believe in Jesus and watch how God takes your broken pieces of your life picks them up, pieces them together, and creates a more beautiful picture of your life because now your life will be a picture that looks more and more like Jesus every single day. Or are you in God's design? You've already recognized the brokenness of your life. You've confessed and you believed in King Jesus and everything that he did, and now you are on the restore and pursue part. You know what I have to say to you? Go!
Go. Jesus, God, every single time, if you are a believer, he asks you the question, are you desperately seeking to bring others to salvation and utilize your one life for King Jesus, or are you assuming they're fine because of their outward appearance too? Look at Romans 10, verse 14. It says this, how then can they, unbelievers, call on Jesus they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and share the good news. And that's the gospel. God calls every single believer to run into the brokenness that is our world and preach the gospel with passion and conviction. Amen? Every single believer. And when you reflect on who you were before Jesus and remember that God brought you out of your brokenness, you become inspired to dive into the brokenness and reveal the light of Jesus' hope. One of my favorite preachers ever, his name is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. I love that quote. What Charles Spurgeon is saying is every single Christian needs to be a soul winner. A soul winner. People who speak the gospel to people so that they win souls for Jesus' kingdom. Because he also says this, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus, you seem to get a new heaven here on earth. I love that quote. There's a funny thing about dirty, broken plates, right? Guys, many of you guys saw my plate here. It's a little bit dirty. Can I get an amen? I literally took a Sharpie and just put it all over it. I'm the one who made this thing dirty. I'm the one who broke it, right? Every single little piece of this is totally my fault. There is literally nothing I can do to make this look at all good. Even if I glued it together, Isaac, even if I glued it together, it's still gonna look like it was broken, right? It's still gonna look like something horrible happened. So this plate kind of resembles my life. It also kind of resembles your life. What we don't need from Jesus is for him to attempt to kind of glue something together and make it look like it was kind of this like okay-ish version of something broken. We need Jesus to step in to our world and give us a completely new and beautiful plate. This is the most beautiful plate I could find at Walmart. Don't go to Walmart for your plates. <laughs> That's what we need Jesus to do. Guys, here's the thing. Knowing Jesus not only saved my soul, it actually changed everything about me. It changed the direction of my soul from hell to heaven, but it also changed how I view relationships. My relationship with my mom is now restored and renewed, not because of anything good that I did. It's because of Jesus, who is so good for me, changed my soul and changed everything about me. He didn't just piece it together. He restored my entire life. Jesus picks up the pieces of our brokenness and doesn't just put it back together. He makes it fully brand new. And for those of you who don't know Jesus tonight, you're not beyond fixing. 
You just have to acknowledge that you can't fix yourself. Only Jesus can. Will you place your faith in Jesus tonight and know him? God, I thank you so much for Salt Company. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. God, I see so many new faces, and that's why I know that I need to have a conviction to preach the gospel because I have no idea where most of these people are at. God, I pray that there's something within your soul, within their souls, that is just like going crazy right now. Maybe they thought that they were the Romans 10, one through three person, that they thought that they knew you, but God, in all reality, they have just been putting their own goodness, their own good works as priority and assuming that they're a Christian. There are so many people like that. Every single church that I have ever preached at, most of the crowd is that. God, I pray that tonight would be a difference in their life, that they would see their own brokenness and they would see how perfect you are, actually place their faith in you. They would confess that they're a sinner and also confess that you are Lord and that they would actually place their faith in your works and not their own. And God, I pray for the believers here in the room, who I would call them sort of apathetic Christians who have, yes, they've been saved, yes, they've been restored, but they're not really pursuing. I pray that they would see and realize how broken they were and how Jesus had to first love them so that they could actually go and love other people. I pray that they would declare the gospel in the darkness. In your name I pray.